You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hey folks, Brian Nichols here from The Brian Nichols Show. Are you tired of partisan politics? Do you want to hear the news without that media narrative? Do you want to be more well-rounded as a person? Or how about this? Do you want to get to know and learn from noted entrepreneurs, elected officials, C-level executives, economists, and more? Well, how about this? Look no further. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Again, I'm your host, Brian Nichols. Go ahead and learn more at briannicholsshow.com. Okay, if you have not heard about Cash App, you're going to love me. You want more from all these free apps used for just free and fast money transfers, right? Well, I've got the hookup for you. The Cash App. The Cash App card is a free Visa debit card that lets you use your Cash App balance to pay online and in stores. It's also the only way to get Boost. Now, let me tell you about Boost because it's exclusive to Cash App. Boosts are reusable instant discounts that work at places you actually go to, everywhere from Starbucks to Walmart to even the PlayStation Network store. You can do so much more than buy and save money with this. You can even purchase shares of stock in companies you love by investing as little as $1. Banking is also made easy. With Cash App, you can directly deposit paychecks, tax returns, and more to your Cash App balance using the unique account and routing numbers. And if you don't think things can get any cool, It does by allowing you to buy and sell Bitcoin, the money of the future. Selling and receiving money on Cash App is as easy as entering a phone number, using another user's name, or simply scanning a QR code. Hit the special link in the show notes and get $5 just for signing up. That is, use that link in the show notes and get $5 just for signing up. So go on, go ahead and hit that link in the show notes and get set up with Cash App today. Hey, everybody, check out the Break the Bell podcast, where we believe your voice is your most powerful weapon. For a weekly dose of our take on what's going on in the world mixed with a side of history. Find us wherever podcasts are found or on social media handle at Break the Bell Pod. And most importantly, never stop talking. Prepare yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. Folks, if you've been on this journey for me for the last couple of months, you, you've hopefully begun to pick up a trend. What we're doing here is different from what you've worked with me on in the past. And I mean, many of you have worked with me. You've supported my work. You've shared the show of friends. You've, you've donated financially for the different books and projects and films that we've done because we're people of action. You know, there there are a lot of commentators out there. There are a lot of people out there that are talking about solutions. They're talking about different ways of achieving freedom in your life. But this show isn't just about touching the surface of it. It's about actually trying to connect with the people, connect with the network, understand the mindset of individuals who truly take action to deliver more freedom and opportunity within their lifetime. And it's not something you have to worry about, you know, 30, 40 years from now. It's understanding the steps. If I, it's identifying the challenges. It's setting up a plan of action to do that. And with our guest today, this is somebody that, you know, definitely understands that mindset. And as I've been listening to his show and catching up on his uh, interviews the last couple of weeks, it is just incredibly fortunate that, uh, you know, Caleb Franz, I want to give a special shout out to Caleb, was able to connect me with him. I'm incredibly excited, but I'm going to go ahead and shut up and introduce our guest today because he's the only one that I actually want to hear from. And I'm pretty sure you want to hear from him too. Gary Collins has a compelling background that includes 
Department's military intelligence. He was a special agent for the U.S. State Department, Diplomatic Security Service, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and U.S. Food and Drug Administration, to say the least. Gary's expert knowledge brings a much-needed perspective to today's areas of simple living, health, nutrition, entrepreneurship, self-help, and being more self-reliant. And you've probably caught some of his stuff before. His website is www.thesimplelifenow.com. You know his podcast, Your Better Life, and the Simple Life book series. Everything will be in the show notes so you can connect with Gary and uh, you know educate yourself a little bit more. But Gary Collins, thank you so much for calling in from a remote, random place in the middle of America. It's great to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, living off the grid and doing a podcast and the way I do everything makes it always interesting. It can be a little challenging, but that's good. That's what life's about. Good problems. Good problems. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, go ahead. No, I just, uh, yeah, it's been interesting and we're in interesting times. And it's funny that for me, as a guy who started all this business 10 years ago that started in health and it eventually evolved into life simplification and it almost kind of created my own category by accident, right? Uh, that all of a sudden people are like, what's this guy up to? Holy shit. We thought he was nuts just, uh, you know, eight years ago, friends included and family. And everyone's all, how, how's he doing that? How do you do that? You know, and it, it's just interesting times. Um, uh, oh, absolutely. And I mean, this is the, the type of stuff that, you know, you've you've really built your life around um, in the last couple of years and everything else. This is stuff that maybe 10 years ago people would have said was fringe thinking. You know, this idea of being prepared because something crazy might happen that impacts everybody, you know, whether it was just learning more skills so that way you could become more independent or setting yourself up so that way you could be more self-reliant and less reliant on corporations, other people, other institutions that are fallible. Um, I mean, just, I mean, whether it's it's finance or whether it's, you know, prepping to a certain degree. Now it seems that this is the stuff that people actually want to want to talk about. And to a large degree, I'm happy that, you know, regular average Americans are now having these discussions. But in many cases, it's too late. And what's funny is if you really think about it, um, the, with the pandemic that we've all been living through, this isn't this isn't like, you know, other countries where they're living through civil wars and, uh, you know, uh, other other terrible things, Ebola. For the most part, yes. While we've been impacted, we're we're somewhat spoiled. Uh, the the big the big problem for a lot of Americans was that they had no cash savings and they didn't have toilet paper. And now they're worrying about whether or not they have enough guns and a bug out plan to get things going. As somebody that's you know kind of prepared for this moment and other obstacles, what's it like kind of looking at the rest of the world, thinking, ah, I kind of told you so. It is. And I don't, I try not to, uh, how would I put it, uh, be too uh, bold in my statement of, hey, I told you, dummy, and no one listened. <laughs> <laughs> and, and people always ask me because I've always, I've built my business off interviews. I've been doing interviews for years and years and years. And people have categorized me as a prepper and survivalist. I go, I'm not. I am not that. I go, and second of all, I don't categorize myself. I don't like to. It just, I got lumped in those groups because I was speaking to those groups about health, primal health, paleo living, a, a more natural lifestyle because the survivalists and preppers were just as big, if not bigger than the rest of America. They were just as out of shape, which shocked me. So they kind of fell in love with what I was teaching and getting back to those basics of life. But for me, 
because I would get emails and they go, hey, what are you prepping for? What exactly are you building that house for? I go, freedom. They go, what? I go, yeah, I don't have 55 gallon tubs of pancake batter. You know, I, that's stupid. You know, I'm building this. This is all this whole lifestyle is based upon restoring my individual freedom, living the life I want, not what I've been told. You know, I spent 20 years in the federal government deep inside. I even worked local state government uh, when I was in college. So it was this long evolution of life and seeing things from the inside out. And I realized we're just being sold a, a bill of goods. And at the end, I had decided enough's enough. Uh, I'm going to live my life. Uh, you know, this journey is over. I'm glad I took it. I'm a very patriotic guy. I love my country. You know, I've defended my country. But at the same time, I realized the people in power, because I also was around the most powerful people in the world when I was in the government and heard private conversations, I went, we're screwed. <laughs> I went, we're doomed. If we're expecting these idiot politicians to protect us, we're in deep trouble. And that's what put me on this journey of taking care of myself and making sure that I had prepared myself for what could come and what was probably coming. The thing I didn't see coming is it coming this quickly. So I was all prepared. I was all done. And then this blew up, right? The pandemic. And I even did an interview right as it was occurring on a show. And he goes, uh, the, the host asked me, he goes, so what do you think of this coronavirus? I go, you're about ready to see the biggest transformation of wealth you've ever seen. He goes, what? Oh, 100%. I go, yeah, I go, you watch. I went, I've watched these politicians over the decades, and I know their game plan. Everything they do is about, is about gaining more power and taking our wealth. That's what it's all about. I went, you watch. Everyone's going to have their, their hand in the cookie jar. And sure enough, I'm not saying I'm a prophet, but it was pretty <laughs> obvious what they were doing. And I'm not saying this pandemic isn't serious, but it's nowhere, and it's our lack of knowledge, of understanding, and being a health guy, and being in health for decades. When it hit, I look, kept looking at the data, I kept looking at the numbers, and I just kept going, this doesn't make any sense. What are we doing? And, and, and you know, people were saying, well, oh, God, Americans, we're dying. It's hitting us the hardest. Yeah, because we're the most unhealthiest country in the world by far, by far. And, and, I, and I would tell people, you know, uh, the flu kills a lot of people too. And they go, well, that's pretty insensitive. I go, but here's the thing you're not getting. They don't do data on the flu every year. They have rough data. But if they were to do the testing and do everything that they're doing with COVID, the flu would kill more people and infect a lot more people. It does every year. If you looked at it rationally and people just, they can't get that through their head of, you can't hide from a virus. This is basic, fundamental, you know, virology. Viruses are adaptive and you can hide and sit in your house. As soon as you come out, they're going to rise back up. It's got to run its, it's got to run its course. That's the only way you get rid of it and build an immunity to it. And then they're saying vaccines. And I go, that's great. But by the time they get that vaccine out, it's going to evolve and it's probably going to be a different strain. And there's going to be a multitude of strains. And only people who are going to benefit from that is the government and the pharmaceutical companies. And if you think I'm going to be the first in line to get jacked with, with that, you're dreaming. I am not going to be in that test bed. No way in hell. I oh, no, no, I, I do not. I do not want to be the first people in line for that because I remember uh, when I was young, I had to go get the, the nasal 
you know the the nasal uh, sh- sh- uh, the nasal spray for like swa what was it uh, swine flu swine flu that was it yeah, yeah and 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 like several years later um, the FDA and everyone else said yeah that first initial batch of the of the injection the nasal spray it didn't actually target the specific strain of swine flu that we were worried about so I'm reading this like five years later and I'm like you're you're, you're kidding me you just you know through something inside my body that you now you're saying and it's not like anyone in the media talked about it you're saying that now it didn't work and we're just supposed to move on with it it's like this 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 age of trust is is what bothers me the most and i mean i don't, I don't talk too much politics really anymore but the one thing i do love about the trump administration the trump years all good and bad um is that whether you're a republican or a democrat or a libertarian everyone is looking at all of our institutions and everyone is saying something's not right i think we're being lied to and while some people are more accurate about where those lies and you know other things are coming from it's this idea that you know maybe our government isn't all known and all-powerful, and maybe they're just as fallible as the rest of us. What a concept. What a concept. And that's the, that, that's the thing that's bothered me also the most during this pandemic, because when you look at the things that have actually been uh, the biggest harm to people's lives, has it not been the swine flu? Yes, this, I'm sorry, it has not been COVID. It's been, you know, oh, you didn't have any emergency savings, so now because you can't work, now you're, now you're going and you're sucking at the government. Now, um, you know, because you didn't prepare long enough, you're fighting people for ground beef and toilet paper. Uh, Now, because you're worried about the cops not being around, now you're worried you might not be able to find guns and ammo. COVID is not the biggest threat to your life. Your biggest threat to your life right now for the average American is is you. Yeah. Well, and that's why I teach uh, well, and even going back to that, that's being around these people. You know, hey, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer either. I don't, I don't pretend to be the smartest guy in the world. But I was around a lot of our leaders, like I said, one-on-one, protection details, private conversations, especially senators and congressmen standing around them. I stood next to a junior, uh, uh, Anthony Weiner. <laughs> I walked away. Oh, wow. I was such an idiot. I had to walk away from the conversation. It was so bad. Um, the guy was a complete utter pervert. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm not a, a very. Uh, is this is this before the guy. dick? Is this like before the oh, dick well, pics leaked? Okay, it was his first year, and he was at the UN General Assembly in New York, and one of uh, he would befriended one of my coworkers, and we did protection details all these in, at United Nations General Assembly uh, every year in the State Department. And the guy he introduced me to him, and I didn't know till later on. I went, I remember that guy. He was just so obnoxious and such an idiot that I went, I got to walk away from this guy. This guy is awful. And you, you would hear their conversations and you'd hear them talking to each other. And you knew two things. First of all, they're all friends in, in the world of manipulating people and getting our money. That's what they're mainly about. True. Not only that, but they're incredibly stupid. These are just broken, immoral idiots. I mean, some of these politicians barely can find their office every morning. They're so stupid. And a lot of the upper echelon bosses, too, in a lot of federal agencies I worked with, we always said shit floats to the top. And it was because the way – and this works not just in the government. I've seen it in the private sector, too, but not nearly as much – that the people who move up are not the doers. They're the moles and the snakes, 
because in the government, we always knew as, as agents, they never wanted to promote the workers and the people who got stuff done. Because if you do that, that takes your production out, right? So you want to promote your mole. And it was always the snitch, always that agent that was in the groups listening to everyone and would run to the boss and then tell him, well, Jeff said this about you. Da, 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 da. Next thing you know, Jeff's pipped on a performance uh, improvement plan, we call them, which is basically you're in line to be fired. It was dirty. I mean, at the end, I saw a lot of dirty play in the FDA, a lot of stuff. And that's when I just said, this is totally and completely dysfunctional. Our our upper echelon, our managers of government, our politicians are nothing but sociopaths for the most part. And trying to understand them and, and try and figure out what the hell. And a lot of us, normal people in the government, I call, I'll use air quotes, normal, uh, trying to do the job and do the right thing, you would literally start to think you were going nuts, that there was something wrong with you because you just couldn't quite figure out what, what was wrong with these people. And I just realized they're broken. And that's what made me go on into this of the next thing I'm going to do in life is going to be primarily based on helping people with the knowledge I've gained and to get them on the right path, as I had to discover, not only in health, but I use the three-legged stool of optimal health, financial freedom, and finding your life purpose, which are the three things that if you take those back from, you're taking it back from the crony crony kind of oligarchy we're in of big government, big business, you're taking the power back to yourself with that three-legged stool. And that's how I ended up getting more in-depth with the Libertarian Party, which I've always been a fringer on that. But I finally decided to pick a side and I do it tentatively. I say I will leave at any given point. Um, but it was funny how that a lot of libertarians kind of drew to what I've been teaching and a lot of other Americans. And you're right. It's everyone just goes, well, what is the government going to do for me? And it's like, that's, that is such the wrong attitude. Yeah. I mean, with, um, I find it interesting what you said about, you know, having to pick a side in this. I was I, – I, I am a libertarian. I've jumped around political parties and honestly, like as a consultant, I worked for everybody at some point, good, bad, and indifferent. I'm, I'm not proud of a lot of it, but there were some some good folks that, you know, I was able to help out when uh, when I was definitely called for action in those situations. But I, I think uh, for a lot of – my listeners, including myself, we're, we we feel burned out by the political process, and you know maybe it's because we're we're more pessimistic thinkers. But you know when I look at the Libertarian Party, for example, uh, there are a lot of good people, but they're they're widely ineffective. And you know in their defense, Republicans are also widely ineffective too, and we don't have enough independents out there. And may, maybe it's because I'm more of a negative thinker, but I think the the era in which we could use the government to potentially limit and shrink the government, I think it's gone. Uh, what we're seeing right now is we're seeing Republicans fighting for bailouts, fighting for a second stimulus check. It's like, okay, what if you get it? What do we have to do? What was the cost? Uh, you know, with the first round of stimulus checks, I mean, it was bil- um, billions and billions of dollars. Most of it went towards Howard College and the Kennedy Center and upgrading uh, congressional offices and all this other stuff. I think it was like one twentieth of the actual bill went towards actually giving direct cash payments to Americans. And we look at this, and it's like, listen, whether you're on the left or the right or wherever you are, they th- during a time of epic epic proportions where the government actually needed to help the people, all these politicians looked at the situation. They said, how can I benefit from it first? Yep. No. 
Well, and not only that, but it was very well contrived. And I always tell people that your, your congressmen and senators don't write the bills um, for the most part. These oh, it's all the staffers. Oh, it's staffers and the written it's staffers in the in the lobbyist groups and the special interests. They're written years before. They, they've got bills that are just sitting to be proposed because they're just waiting. It is such a corrupt, dirty business, and and the earmarks that go through. But with this, you know, the, look who who came out ahead on this deal: the politicians and massive big business in the banks. Huh. But they go, oh, but we gave we gave the the these uh, you know enhanced unemployment benefits. We gave these checks. That was just to stop the people from burning the thing down. That's all that was. That was just to make sure that people didn't rise up and literally start dragging them out of their offices into the street. That's what that was for. They're smart. They know how far to push, but they also knew where to funnel the money. So they funneled the money to themselves. To the, to the lobbyists, to the big industries, to all their buddies, because they're going to be working there once they get out after 40 years if they don't die in office, which is ridiculous. Oh, it's the, it's the ultimate self-licking ice cream cone. They oh, yeah. never go away. It never melts. Yeah, but what they did is so they distribute the money to the people that they know will spend it, right? So those stimulus checks go to the basically, for the most part, the lower one-third. Um, and those people don't save. They blow it. So what do they do? They spend it. Amazon, Walmart, Costco, all the big companies, they just blow it. So it is such an interesting way to watch these, these just, just skid marks of human beings is the best way to put it. They are literally a brown stain on my underwear, most of them. They are horrible people. And that, the, the, and that was pretty brutal, but um, <laughs> being around them for so long, I've become so frustrated with the average politician for the most part. And the good ones, if they don't coalesce, they're out, you know, so they have to play the game. And that's why I always tell people, you know, and a lot of people get spun up and they focus on this. I go, no, 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 no. You're, 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 go, you're chasing the lure. You're doing exactly what they want you to do. First of all, they want you to pick a side because they want they want divisiveness. That's what keeps everyone fighting each other. I go, if you sit back and you work on the three-legged stool, if you work on yourself, and I have a rule too, you can't bitch about other things in society until you get your own shit together. You know, don't sit there pointing your finger at everything else. And you're the typical American that's 50, 100 pounds overweight. You spend most of your time in a fast food line. You don't have any savings. You've got a Lexus in front of your apartment. You know, if you're that, you need to shut up and start working on yourself. Then you can complain about the other things, <laughs> you know, and I don't mean that to be, you know, uh, 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 you know, condescendingly to people. I've been there. I've been the type grade A bitcher. I've done it. I've done it personally. And I know what it did to me. It literally, it, it handcuffed me in life. So once you get out of that and just go, okay, all right. The problem's right here. It's staring me back in the mirror. Let me focus on this first. Get this straightened out. Then we can worry about the rest. And I think if Americans took that attitude, we'd be in a much better place. Because these politicians only have so much control, right? Uh, don't get me wrong. Our, our government is, as you know, is massively bloated. But I always, you know, I use the analogy of you can keep punching the 800 pound gorilla in the face and wait till it rips your arms off. Or you can go out back out in the jungle and you can go build your shelter and build your community 
and then deal with the 800 pound gorilla when you have 500 of you and the gorilla is not a threat anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's a, there, there's an old, there, there's an old story. Uh, a mentor of mine told me back in college, he's uh he, he was a former green beret and he was talking about like, you know, the, the different, the, the different operators out there amongst the branches. He's like, okay, you've got this snake crawl, you know, just slithering up the road and a Navy SEAL sees it. And he's like, oh, here's what I have to do first. I got to get all the cameras. I'm going to get all my guys. I'm going to call an airstrike on it. And I'm going to make sure I get on TV. And I'm going to write a book about how I killed the snake. And it's going to be awesome. And then you have the you know, the Air Force operator, he comes by and he's like, oh, I, I see it with my binoculars. I'm going to call an airstrike on it. Then I'm going to go, you know, go, go back to the club and watch some TV. And then you've got the Green Beret who comes by and he sees the snake and he takes his patrol cover off and he, he gets on one knee. He talks to the snake. He befriends the snake. Then he convinces the snake to go back to its family and kill all the other snakes and then kill itself. And then the Green Beret just goes and walks off. I feel like that's many... You know, for, for many people who are just now really starting to see how this works, they're really starting to understand. It's like, you know, I can't just yell at the government. We also have to understand who's enabling this. It's all the voters. It's all the taxpayers. It's all of us. If I want to convince people of the things I believe, they have to look at me as somebody that's self-reliant and, you know, to a degree somewhat of a success. So then they think it's their ideas. So then they think that they're the ones who are coming up with the initiative to do this. Well, and, you know, that's the great thing about America, too, is we have these individual states. So you, if you don't like one state, you can leave and go to another. And that's the beauty part of it. And we're seeing it right now. A lot of people who are living in uh, these hellholes of cities, which have been hellholes for a long time. And, and I, I always say this where people are so uh, misinformed, I guess. And it's the media is a disaster. I mean, that's. No, we don't even have to argue with that one. Oh, you don't have to tell me twice. <laughs> yeah, Chicago in the world, like Chicago would be the most dangerous place on the face of the planet. We're talking Afghanistan, you know, we're talking Yemen, Chicago. Chicago would be the most violent place in the world if you categorized it today. And let that sink in for a, a minute. We live in the most prosperous country in the world, but we are, we have the most violent cities in the world. We incarcerate more people than any developed uh, country in the world. Uh, we are the most obese country and unhealthiest country in the world by far. We have all these problems, but they all come back to me, right? To myself. I'm the one that needs to fix this. I mean, I've never you know, except for when I was in government, I had to live in certain cities, but when I left, I went, there was a list of places. First of all, I was never going to live in a city again, but there's a list of them that I knew better than to live in. <laughs> you know, I'm all, no, I'm not living there. I was at the uh, WTO riots in Seattle. I was at those though. That was the original and it was mayhem. I, I, how, you know, national guard got called in. It was ugly. And that made me realize, I remember they're standing out with a asp, you know, and gun in your hand going, I may have to shoot someone. And it's an American on the streets. I mean, it was, it got to the point, if they wouldn't have called the National Guard in, there would have been some bodies. Uh, it was to that point. And understanding that, that kind of gave me that, that, that kind of experience of where this can go and how quickly it can change. So I knew to avoid those cities. 
uh, and we, you know, even though I, I, I don't like to pick sides in anything, but they're all democratically run cities and have been. Oh, that, that's not, that's not an opinion. That's just a, yeah. that's just a cold fact. It's a cold fact. And I have friends who are Democrats and I, like I said, I like to keep an open mind and, and I, I love to hear everyone's views, um, to a point. Um, but I agree with also, uh, uh, a couple people like Dan Bongino, who like I said, uh, we have similar backgrounds and we may have been to the Academy together, <laughs> but I'll have to, and one day when I meet them, I'll have to talk dates, but there are some people who literally, I don't want to hear from anymore. And these people who are burning down buildings and rioting and killing people and raping, plundering, it's far worse than what the media is letting out. These are hell holes. These are war zones. Uh, again, some of the most violent places on the face of the planet. I feel bad for the people living there, but it's like, you got to leave. You got to go. If you don't, and we're seeing it, I'm seeing it where I live. Uh, you know, I live in the sticks and I'm seeing all around me, everyone's flooding out, trying to find remote land and, and all that. But yeah, that's part of it though, right? Is if you're, if you, if you're self-reliant and you've mastered the three-legged stool, well, leaving's no problem. You've got a year of savings. You're debt free. You know, you can leave and get another job. I tell people I can go work a menial $15 an hour job, $10 an hour job. I'll be fine. I'll be able to pay my bill. I'll be able to eat. No problem. That gives you a lot of power in life because you're never trapped. You know, you, you, you are in control of your life at that point. Yeah. I, I tell people one of the most uh, humbling experiences I had when I when I left politics was for good was working as a cashier at GameStop. I had never worked so hard for such little money in my life. But at that point in my life, I had already realized, okay, wh- what are what are my priorities? My priorities need to be my health, my ability to generate money, but not just have passive income streams, but be able to go anywhere and be able to work anything and know that there's going to be more money at the end of the month instead of more month at the end of the money, so to speak. And, uh, you know, it's those, it's those moments where we have that, that brutal awakening where it's like, now, now you see how things really are. The ultimate choice is whether or not you're going to act upon it. I'm just curious when, uh, when you were at that point in your life and you were like, okay, it's time to, take things to the next level what, what were some of your influences you know what it, the biggest one growing up poor and i do this all the time you know uh, very young we were middle class by the time i was seven we were dirt poor for the most part bankrupt and that was the whole evolution into poorville and uh growing up that way not having a whole lot struggling all the time we were talking uh, prior recording I got my first job at 13 working in a restaurant as a busboy and I learned the value of a dollar very early on and I also learned work ethic that no one's going to pay you for not doing anything (laughs) because trust me at 13 I was not the best worker but I soon learned that you will not get the hours and you will not make money if you're lazy And so I had to have a little attitude readjustment at 13 and realize, okay, you know, if I want to work and I want to be a part and and get paid by this, this restaurant and it's a small town. So we all know each other. Everyone, everybody talks, everyone talks. So, you know, Hey, you know, Gary, God, that kid's lazy, man. We tried hiring him and he just, you know what I mean? You don't want to hear that. You don't want that getting back. So it taught me the work ethic. Not only that, but if you don't have anything, if you want to get it, you got to go earn it. No one's giving it to you. 
and I grew up very remotely, a uh, very small town. You know, uh, my town was 1800 people. I lived 25 miles outside of that town in a, a town of 50 to a hundred people. You know, you, you, you're around yourself a lot. We were free range kids. I mean, no one knew where I was half the time, you know, so you had the ability to get in trouble all the time. Also, I had a shotgun in my truck all the time because we all hunted. <laughs> I remember at school, my shotgun fell out of my truck one day. And I went, oh, shit. And I went, oh, God, I left it in the door because there was a way you can put it in your door. All of us rednecks know this when you're hunting on the road and stuff so you can grab it real quick. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you know, and it was still loaded because I'd forgotten I'd been in a hurry. I left football practice, ran home. It was getting dark, went out dove hunting and, and threw it back in the truck and, you know, stuff like that. And you think of that today and there's none of that. I mean, rural oh, no. kids probably still do it, but they probably hide it. We all had guns in our cars and, you know, we're teenagers. We're not very bright. Um, and, and understanding that evolution of, of where we're at, but yeah, it taught me that working and responsibility, right? I had to be responsible for that weapon. I knew that weapon had dire consequences, you know? So I've never had an accidental discharge ever in my entire life with a firearm. And I've put tens of thousands of rounds through firearms. I, I started shooting, firearms when I was seven, you know, right around there. And I went through the hunter safety course at 12, you know, government hunt. I, I've been around weapons my entire life and, and understanding that those are a, a tool, but they also have dire consequences when used incorrectly. Right. But that goes back to the work ethic and responsibility. So I started working at 13, you know, and, and just learned that if you want something, you got to go get it. And you can complain about it. You can whine about your lot in life. You can claim you're a victim, that this group hates me. This is unfair. Well, guess what, man? I've been all around the world. The world's unfair. And I've been to some hell holes where people have no hope. They have no chance to get out of their lot in life. I remember my first trip to uh, West Africa with the State Department, Mali, Africa. Absolute destitution. I mean, I came back and I remember a group of us, we got off the plane. I, I said, I'm never bitching about my life ever again, ever. And of course I did, but, it, it <laughs> but it, it definitely got me on the right path of, okay, got, dude, stop it. You did nothing special to be born in this country. You, it was luck of the draw. So take advantage of it. Take advantage of this situation and, and do the things and I've always been a teacher. I've always believed in doing the right thing. Uh, I'm not perfect. Hey, I'm a human. I'm flawed just like everyone else. Um, but everything I've done has tried to be the betterment uh, of humankind is the best way to put it, right? Yeah. To put my work in. And now we're just a bunch of individuals chasing shiny objects going, me, 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 me. Look at me. I'm important. No, you're not. You're not important. You're you're, you're just, you're just a, a combination of cells and, and, and organic material. That's all you are. What your actions and what you do are what make you special. Not being makes you special. And that's the problem we're at today is everyone thinks they're special. Everyone's entitled. They think they deserve this. And it's like, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't. And we have to get out of that mindset. 
Yeah, I mean, the the big thing that you brought up is, I mean, you you were learning all these life lessons incredibly young. I I saw a Washington Times uh, survey of, about millennial men uh, between the age of seventeen and thirty five, I think, and I think it was more than sixty percent of them basically said that they don't feel like adults. And we're dealing with people who are paying taxes, potentially supporting families, having to, you know, make those big moves in their lives to find their identity and stuff, and they don't feel like they're adults. And I, I see this among some of my friends. I, I live in the same community where uh, you know I went to high school, so I still see a lot of the folks that I grew up with. Some of them we we're, we're just not close anymore. We're just different people. But others who, you know, they, they stayed in college. I, I know somebody that's been in undergrad for eight years he kept changing his his degree still living at home works a part-time job making nothing uh just keeps changing his degree because he thinks he's just going to find the one thing that you know gives him purpose and you know i I was having a beer with a friend of mine a few weeks ago and he said you know i'm dude i'm I'm 26 now why why don't i feel like an adult what I, I do genuinely think that there's a generational difference between millennials like myself and prior generations. I know people complain about you know the baby boomers and their parents and everything, but I don't know whether it was just the way we were brought up or the culture that we happen to be brought up in. But you know, amongst men, I'll, I'll, you know, by men I also mean you know women as well who are trying to find this. It, it seems like that lack of identity, that lack of purpose, is leading a lot of people just to be sheep on the corporate government farm. Well, and I, I have this uh, concept that I call widget in, widget out of society today. We're just widgets making widgets to buy widgets, uh, to earn widgets, to live in widgets, to drive widgets, and instead of you know, the creativity of humans, you know, we're, we're geared to be curious, to learn, to always be expanding our thoughts. Um, and that's kind of been dulled. And I think that's a big part of it. And that's why I say the third leg of the, of the stool is finding your life purpose. And when I mean life purpose, it should always be kind of part of helping or providing for others. I mean, that, that's the best way to fulfill yourself. But also, you know, comparing, I always say, you know, finding your life purpose is not being 16 and creating a, I use this when people are sick of it, about a $40 bottle of fingernail polish. Your dad's a PR rep for, you know, some company and your mom's a marketing at at, uh, Revlon or something. That story's been done numerous times. That's why I use it. It's not your life purpose. That's bullshit. That, That whole thing, that whole model right there is emptiness. It is total emptiness. And people go, what, do you have a thing against fingernail polish? I go, no, but I'm going, that's, that model is what we're chasing and what's getting us in trouble. Because we're just trying to produce another widget to make more widgets again. And what is that fingernail polish going to do to help society? I think there's enough fingernail polish today. I think we got enough. Nothing. Zero. And that's what I said when I left the government is I was going to create a business, and I had to find its way, I didn't force it, that it would be based upon A, helping people and using my knowledge and experience to people who were in a different place in life that I could help, right? I had to find myself too, you know, my journey, and I, I document it all. You know, I'm in the self-help world, but I, I hate that. I hate being in the self-help world. I try to, I'm going to redefine what I do with the simple life at some point, but with it, it's 
the books and the things that I wish I had 30 years ago to help me in life, right? And it's, what do you want to do in life? And I've seen it. I, I investigated white collar criminals. A lot of them were in gray areas. <laughs> you know, they were legitimate business owners doing things in the gray area. But here's the thing. That gray area is a lot of business today. A lot of big companies are in the gray area. They do a lot of criminal activity and a lot of shady things, but they get away with it. And I said, no matter what I do in life, I never want to be looking over my shoulder. That was what I learned from investigating these guys. They were always looking over their shoulder. They never had good friends. Their friends were, you know, criminal associates. They were buying off people all the time. You know, it was just... It just was so disgusting, and that's why I had to leave it. You know, I tell people, not only was it the criminals, I couldn't tell the difference between the criminals and my bosses anymore at the end. There was, it blurred. It completely blurred into one. And I said, I got to get out of here. This is so toxic. I've got to find a different journey in life. And I think if people looked at that and said, hey, instead of me coming up with the greatest affiliate program of how I'm going to make money on affiliate links on all these products that I don't use and I don't believe in, or I'm going to create the next prostate supplement that is the same <laughs> supplement that's been around forever, and I'm some B star that I've got to promote this stuff because I've got to keep my mansion. That's the problem. That's the problem right there. How does that help people? It doesn't. And if we got back to that, and I'm – I'm a little bit of a, a dreamer. I've tell people my goal for the rest of my life is to create companies that help people. You know, how about we create software that doesn't data mine all of our information? How about I create a word uh, software program that doesn't crash every five minutes and, and crumple my, the RAM in my computer and, and doesn't save all the, t- you know what I mean? I won't say anything. <laughs> um <laughs> One of the worst companies ever developed, by the way. And I laugh. People think I'm so hard on Bill Gates. I think the guy's a complete, utter, evil person. And I do that from a guy who's been around a lot of evil people. But I go, what a, what a boondoggle. The guy created the worst products ever known to man that we've ever used and became one of the richest people on the planet. Microsoft products suck. I have had to use them my whole life. I hate them. And I'm all, well, instead of complaining about it, how about maybe I work on it? One of my goals is to create software that actually works. (laughs) You know, how about that? Let's try that one out. And it's not geared towards making me a billionaire. And that's the problem I have too, is the the wealthiest people in this country, (laughs) they don't do much from what I can see. Oh, I mean, prior to recording, we we were talking about the type of people that were crying out loud for those uh, $1,200 stimulus checks back in March. And it's like they're house poor. They, They live off credit. They might make six figures, but you know, when they can't go to work for a couple of weeks, they're, they're just, they're nothing but debt. They're nothing but debt and other obligations to people they don't like. And there, there's nothing there. There's nothing in that. And I mean, when I tell people I want to be financially independent, I want to be semi-retired 
before I'm 40. They, they think I'm going to, you know, I, I in my mind, I want to become a super billionaire and I'm going to just, you know, hawk yep. uh, T-shirts on Instagram and stuff. No, it just means putting myself in a position where I can wake up when I want to and decide how I'm going to spend my time. Because the only real freedom is the freedom to have options where regardless of which option you choose, you're going to get the best outcome for yourself. And I think we're so we're so distant from that because I mean I was I, I was a smart kid in high school, but around the time I was like you know sixteen seventeen, I had a bit of an attitude of my teachers, uh, particularly in like my government classes and my English classes because they you know it, it was all the same cookie cutter thinking. And the one thing I noticed was these people are telling me how to how to grow up, how to be a member of society, but they're they're not achieving that in their lives. And what happens? Everyone just leaves. They, they go to school. They stay there for longer than four years now, five, six, seven years to get a degree that's worthless. And what do we become? We become part of uh, you know Bezos's freaking and, and Bill Gates' uh, consumer worker class. That's what they called it in, uh, in, in South Park. There was a beautiful episode where everyone at the, uh, everyone at the Amazon Fulfillment Center, they, they'd work a whole day. They'd go home, and what would they do? They'd buy Amazon products. Then it's the same thing the next day. It is. I love, I, mean, I love South Park. I, yeah, I mean, I, I I learned more from South Park and Joe Rogan than I did in you know sixteen years of having to go through education. I, yeah, and that's the thing too is I call it the false prophets, right? That's a huge problem we're in today, and that's why I have such a hard time. I I don't like being categorized in self help because the self help world is a cesspool of idiots. It's it's people teaching you things they've never done before and never plan to do. They're just trying to make a buck off you. They're trying to sell you a dream that you'll never accomplish in most, <laughs> in most aspects because they've never done it. And that's where I've kind of differentiated myself is people understand that, hey, this guy's done everything he talks about. I, and I share it all. I share all my stupidity, all my mistakes, you know, digging ditches of just utter moronis. I mean, I, I've done stupid, stupid things in my life, but I share them. Because I'm like, well, hey, I just don't want to show you all the glowing stuff and, and make you think I'm just this most brilliant person on the face of the planet. I'm just like everyone else. I'm a dumb redneck from the middle of nowhere who just said enough. That's it. That's all I am. And if I can do it, anyone can do it. Is this stuff, is this stuff easy? Easy in concept and easy to kind of uh, extrapolate? Yes. The hard part is the action. And like you were saying, and you talk about action. I'm an action guy. I don't like to sit around and pontificate the finer aspects of world economies. How about I fix my own microeconomy, me, first, and then I can worry about that other stuff later. You know, I'm a guy that says, do it. Don't sit around thinking about it. That gets nothing done. It's, it's plan, organize, execute. That's what life is based on. Have a plan, organize that plan, execute that plan. If you do that on everything that you want to accomplish in life and just follow that pattern, you're, you're unlimited in your capabilities and where you can go. And I firmly believe that. And that's what I mean. I, I've just, I'm like you, I, I could just time out. I could punch that clock one last time and walk away and I'd be totally fine. But that's not how I'm wired. I'm a human. And I tell people that this, I was chasing the carrot, right? We're all chasing the carrot to retire, to poop in our diaper, to take five prescriptions, and then die in a nursing home, right? With a full diaper. That's basically what we're destined for. I just said, no, 
I, I'm going to be active and contributing till that last breath. As, as long as I'm able to do it, I'm going to do it. And I think that's where we get lost too, is we're chasing, we're chasing this dream at the end of the consumerism model, but the, technically that consumerism model never ends, right? Because they tell you, oh, you can't just retire on 85, 50% of what you made before. You need to be close to 100% because when you retire, you're going to spend like a drug addict. And it's like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. <laughs> How about I just live within my means? How about we teach that instead? And instead, we're just taught, no, even when you retire, you got to keep buying those shiny objects. You got to keep buying them. Yeah, I think my most controversial statement within the We Are Libertarians community uh, of listeners has been, I like I I came off as a dick as I said it, and like twenty people messaged me calling me an elitist. But like I don't think libertarians really influence many people because most of them are are are, are poor consumers who really have no freedom in their life. I mean, I, I hate it when I, I think libertarians because they they know all the economic treatises and they know all the all the other shit. Like their thing is, well, what's the point of saving money if the if the government's just going to go ahead and inflate everything? And it's like, listen, man, you don't need to worry about inflation when you have no savings and your income is less than forty grand a year. You've got more things to worry about than that. Oh, and that and see, that's where I, I yeah, I've said that too. Uh, I, and that's where kind of the libertarian kind of groups kind of found me in a sense that I, I kind of dove back in and said, hey, if I've got to dive back in, I'm going to look at the Libertarian Party again, and I'm going to explore a little more. And I became friends with a couple of people just randomly, right, who were had podcasts and all that. So with that, I, I always complained. I said, what's always kept me out of the Libertarian Party is they're talkers and not doers. They love to talk. And I go, that gets nothing done. And that's why the party has gone nowhere. And, and they thought that was a little harsh, but some people came back and went, he's right. <laughs> he's totally right. I'm an observer looking inside out, right? Yeah. And that's what my problem always had been with the Libertarian Party. You know, I'm all, you guys got to do, it's got to be action. You've got to go out and do things. You know, you got to do it, lead by example. And, 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 and I'm with you that I have a, I have a saying Money equals freedom. You need to look at money differently. It's not to buy objects and to gain, you know, to be greed and power. It's about freedom. The more money you have, the more potential for freedom you have. The more freedom you have, the less money it takes to maintain that level of freedom. And I discovered that. Now, it's my own phrase. I came up with that all on my own because it was my own self-evaluation of what I had gone through and how I looked at money. And I went, if you look at it that way, it changes everything. Right. And I always say, you know, by being debt free and using money the way I use it now, I sleep better than I've ever slept ever. I'm happier. I feel better because I know that financially I'm good. That part is taken care of. I've I've met my basic, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right. I've met all that. Now I'm just trying to take the next step in in growing my company and growing what I'm doing, spreading the word. You know, of course, I own a business and making money in a business is not a bad thing. But when you put that first, you say, I'm going to make money first. That's when it becomes a problem. And I've done it. I said, once I changed my attitude of I'm just going to provide something that helps people. And if you do it correctly, the money will come is how I look at it. 
I think if you look at it that way, and like we said, you take care of yourself. And, and, and if you're sitting there and you're on all the libertarian blogs and you're com- – well, you can't comment on y- y- Yahoo anymore, which I find very interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, funny how they took the comments section away because me and a friend laughed because I'm not a big guy. I don't use social media really. I use Twitter here and there, but I use it for the podcast. And I have just a group of friends on there. But I told them, I go, yeah, I used to go on there for fun sometimes just to read the comments every once in a while, just to see a little heat check of seeing what people were thinking. I went – that's yeah, gone. They took care of that because a lot of it was people against what the articles were about. And, and cause they're so stupid. The clickbait is ridiculous. You journalists, you know, and yeah, but, but if you stay away from that, stuff, you know, if you focus in on change, what you can change, ignore the rest. That's what I tell people. Just focus on the things you can change. Don't worry about what happened yesterday. You can't fix that. That's over. You learn from the lessons of your past but don't focus on them. You can't change them. They're done. Move on. What can you fix tomorrow? And this will be a blatant promotion, but I did. I, Do it. I, I created this product and I'm very, <laughs> very proud of it because everyone who follows me and I'm sure as you've heard in my podcast, I'm trying to build my business direct to consumer. That's what I'm building it all towards. I'm trying to eliminate middlemen in everything I do. And I'm even creating my own distribution network. So I'm trying to rebuild the business model of today as an entrepreneur to benefit the customer and benefit the business owner. Crazy concept, right? So the consumer gets the product at a good price directly without all this BS involved, right? Um, So I created this journal. It's a 365-day action journal. And everyone who knows me knows I do everything differently. (laughs) I take big risks. I'm all willing to fail. And I I create my products in order. The first, like I said, is to help people. That's where it comes from. And I went, okay, if I wanted a journal, what would I, what would I want? And I looked at all the journals and I went, oh, these suck. These are stupid. You know, filling in stuff here and there. Okay, great. Journaling. I don't don't get what that helps. I'm like, what would, so I said 365 days of micro actions. And also, there's kind of a book in it. So it's got about 35,000 words in it and it gives you action items. So I'm telling you not only fill this stuff out, but I'm giving you action as far as here's a little tidbit. Here's a little, I call them nuggets. They're simple life nuggets of, hey, think about this. And so I developed this thing, created it, you know, put this whole thing together from scratch Used a printer, um, you know, I've always used printers, but I used a printer my, and a whole team. We got together and developed this thing. It's only going to be sold on the website. And it was not cheap to develop. This was an expensive project. And I haven't sold one yet because I haven't, I don't have it. <laughs> you know, it's coming out for the holidays, but it will never be sold anywhere else but on my website. And I've held myself true to that. I don't care that I could sell a hundred times more of them if I put them on Amazon, if I put them out in wide distribution. No, no, I'm not going to do that. And I'm trying to come to that model of, I want people to buy it for me because that benefits me and the business the most. I think it benefits the consumer the most because the money stays in my ecosystem, right? It doesn't go to, 
you know, Amazon and, and Walmart and all these different layers all over the place. And what it does, it allows me to put that money back into the R&D of what I'm doing to provide even more products, better products, to, to go back and maybe fine-tune other products. And that's what I'm trying to do. I, I, I know it's a little crazy today to do something like that, but I'm willing to, because I have that financial freedom. If I lived like the typical American, I couldn't have done that project. Because I wouldn't. Oh no! You, you you would have you have at least like six different vendors just between the printing, the web design, the distribution, and the shipping alone. And then by the time you actually get a dollar from that, you know, like ninety percent of it is just burned. Well, and not only that, but having the capital to do it, to to be able to fund this project on my own, and I laugh. I, I know this is a mall, but I go. I've never used GoFundMe. I've never used Patreon. I tell people, I go. I'm not a charity. It's my job to provide you with a product that you like and that you use and betters your life. If I can't do that, I'm a failure. <laughs> I'll be honest. If I'm not doing that, that's on me. That's my responsibility. And I know it's a hard edge. And I know you can't do that in everything. You know, podcasts don't make money. You know, Patreon is a, a, a well avenue or donations or, uh, you know, a membership. I get that. But I always said, I will run my podcast the way I want to. I will fully pay for it on my own because I, just like my books, why I own all of them. I own the publishing company. I own all the material. All the material is mine. Is I don't want the message distorted or influenced by anything outside. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean, going going back to just you know the the intent of the journal. Like, I I I went through a phase where I was buying a whole bunch of self help books. You know, I was looking for false messiahs and everything that's just tell me what to do. It's not that I really wanted to find the truth of what I wanted. It's that I just wanted somebody who seemed to have their act together just to tell me what to do. And I mean, with uh with the idea of the action item, so that way each day as you're as you're putting in your entry, you're actually having to do something for your life. Uh, I think that right there is what really separates the the boys from the men because i i do i do uh consulting for for up-and-coming authors and for you know people that are just trying to get their book out and the one common thing i usually get other than how do i you know publish it and market it is how do i write it you have a lot of people who are not writers and really don't write anything more than like a facebook post a day who want to write uh 50 to 100,000 word books and my thing is, listen, you, you have to get – it's not just good enough to just put words on a Word document or on a sheet of paper. You have to get in the habit of writing. So what I tell them pretty often is you know, do, do a journal of just observations and then make sure you're hitting 200 words a day in your actual draft. And they're like, well, why do I have to do that? That seems like a waste of time. And I'm like, if you're not in the habit of doing it, then those changes become nothing but a nuisance. You need to develop it as muscle memory. You actually need to want to do it, and then it will become not only easy it will become enjoyable. And that's where, uh, you know, a lot of them just, they, they fail. Uh, I think for every, for every 10 clients I've worked with, less than half of them actually go on to not only complete their manuscript, but one out of five of them actually goes on to put out their book on time, whether they're self-publishing, publishing with a, with a publisher, whatever they're doing. Only one of them does it. And more often than not, these are the people who were not even natural writers because natural writers always find an excuse not to do actual writing. It's insane. These are the people that just developed the habits. And then not only did the habits help them, but the habits gave them their results. They not only put out their book on time, but then 
then they actually went ahead and started doing another book. And then the more marketing they did for that, everything just compounded. And these are people that just wanted to learn how do I develop the actionable habits to get me where I want to go. Well, in writing as a career, I, I tell people, I go, it's not, it's probably the hardest career to make a living at. It's a, it's a bitch and a half. Yeah. Statistically, the failure rate is really, really high. And even if you get the book out, the odds of you selling over a hundred copies are against you as well. Oh yeah. I mean, do not, do not quit your job doing that. And I, I joke with people. It's like the only reason why I was writing both of my books full time was because I was unemployed and I, I couldn't find work. So like I used that time to, you know, do something productive, but I mean, you're, you're the odds of you becoming a bestseller are not going to be there. But there are other benefits to it. One, you have a new stream of income. Two, you you expand your brand awareness. And two, and I mean, third, if you can make money through other things because of your book, whether it's speaking, whether it's uh, you know doing, do, doing affiliate work or something else, there are many platforms that you'll have by publishing a book that you'll have never had prior. So therefore, it's a, it's a peripheral way of benefiting by becoming a published author. Well, not only that, but writing a book, it's the follow through. Yeah. If you can write and publish a book, it's a huge accomplishment, even if you don't sell any copies. And, and what it does is it teaches you numerous beneficial things that you can use in anything else, right? Because writing, I'm not a natural writer. I'm an idiot. Uh, I was terrible at English. I'm a math guy. <laughs> and, and part of that, I knew that for me, and I had two pieces to it. I've always been an avid reader. So I've read all my life. I've read everything too. I read, you know, from science fiction to, to self-help to true crime, to everything. I've read a lot of different genres over my life. But I had a big problem when I was searching after I left the government. You know, I was reading more self-help, trying to find, you know, what was that next journey in my life? Where was I going? And we all have that question. And I noticed that a lot of self-help books were just bullshit. And it was the same thing over and over and over again. I look in the background of these people and it's, uh, you know, barista to self-help expert. I mean, it's ridiculous. Some of it was ridiculous. And I go, this person's never done anything, period, except for write self-help books. And I went, okay, that's a problem. I go, that is a problem. You know, that's, that, that literally is the ignorant leading the ignorant. That is no way to learn. So I went, okay, if I'm going to do this and eventually as I evolved into it, into the simple life, I went, I'm going to take a risk. And even with my going off the grid book, which was a total accident, that was a book I never intended to write, but that started the whole journey. And that became because I did an interview in, in, for a, a, a survivalist podcast and people at the very end, he goes, what are you up to? And I go, Oh, I just bought 20 acres. I'm going to, I'm going to build a house off the grid. He's like, what? what? <laughs> Hold on. You know, we're talking about health for an hour. And all of a sudden at the end, because it was my life. It had nothing to do with a business or writing a book. It was just my life journey. I wasn't sharing it with a lot of people. And so got a ton of emails and went, oh God, I better document this. Well, that's where going off the grid came from. And as I'd evolved though, I, 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 and as I wrote that book, because I'd written some health stuff prior and nothing serious was trying to figure out, you know, I wasn't even considering myself a writer or potential writer was just figuring things out. And I said, if I'm going to do and take a stab at this, I'm tired of the books I'm reading today. And, and I go, I want to write something different. So I'm going to use my own voice. 
I'm going to, it's going to have a different feel. And not only that, because to also learn to be an actual, you know, typical published, big, big industry published writer, it's pretty dry. You know, it's very technical too, right? And I'm all, I'm going to have to relearn all this stuff. And I don't want to write like that because I'm sick of reading these books. I'm sick of reading the same thing. They're, they're the same tone, same subject. It's the same thing. And so if, if I switch this up and I kind of write it in my voice, tell a story, and I took a risk. And I said, I'm going to do it my way. And I'm going to write my way, which also meant that I eliminated a lot of fluff. Because a problem I had with a lot of how-to and self-help books, at least half of it was fluff. It was BS. It was regurgitating the same thing over with a diff- different set of words. And it was like, what is this? God, just get to the point, for God's sakes. Just tell me, tell me what the hell I need to do and how to do it, and I'll be fine. But I don't need your bullshit in between. And so I said, do that. So my books are fairly short. But I've had numerous people come back to me and go, I've never gotten so much information in a short book in my life. <laughs> I go, yeah, because I wrote outside of the box of, because you know, as a journalist and as a writer, that there's formulas. Oh, yeah. I mean, pe- people, for books. people people expect a certain outline and a certain rhythm, so that way it becomes somewhat predictable. But the big challenge of an author is providing the content and the value while at the same time changing it up for the reader. So that way the reader actually has to feel engaged with it. Well, exactly. And, and for me, I felt I was disengaged as a reader on a lot of things. And don't get me wrong. Hey, man, there's some brilliant books that I've read that heavily influ- influenced my life. And that's what I kind of went back to. I kind of looked at those and went, what was it about this book that I found so engaging? How did this affect me and how did it help me? And it always came back mostly to the concepts broken down into a way I could understand them and then put them into action. And that was the problem I found with a lot of, of self-help books is there was no real good way to put it into action. And I know this for a fact because I'm in the writing industry that most self-help books, they know the author and the publishing company knows that over 80% of the people who buy self-help books never implement one item in that self-help book ever. They never do any of it. So they don't care if you actually follow it for the most part. I went, well, <laughs> I can't write books doing that. That I would feel terrible. You know, and that's what I said too is I have to enjoy what I'm doing. If I don't believe in what I'm doing and I don't enjoy what I'm doing, what's the point? What am I doing? Widget in, widget out again. I'm just part of the I'm just part of this mass herd chasing a carrot again. And so I said if I can enjoy and, and enjoy what I'm doing, enjoy what I'm writing and if the people who the end user enjoys it as well, I've accomplished my goal. That's all I was trying to do. And that's all I'm still trying to do because I'm still working on it. It's not over. You know, I didn't just write these books and they're done and I'll never, uh, you know, I'll never touch them again. I constantly go through these books and I'm trying to figure out how to make them better. And that's never going to end. Absolutely. It's a lifelong journey. No one ever gets to that final point where they become an expert in, in at anything. It's just them constantly developing themselves, trying to see how much farther they could take things. Gary, this has been an awesome episode. Thank you for coming on and covering so many different topics with me. If people want to engage with you and folks, I'm going to have a link to his Twitter, his website and everything in the show notes, but people want to take advantage of your new journal, all, all your products and services. How could they do so? 
thesimplelifenow.com, my website. Uh, I've had a full functioning e-commerce website for about eight years. <laughs> I built it ahead of time, knowing that I wanted to keep everyone in my universe of the website. Uh, but that's the place to go. That's where I'll announce. And your Better Life podcast, my podcast is where I'm going to announce the dates because the journal will not be sold all year long. I'm only going to release it um, for the holidays and it'll be a short time span. They'll all be signed. So it's kind of an exclusive deal. And plus, I want the people who work for me, we're going to cut it off to make sure that people aren't trying to ship out journals the day before Christmas or anything. Everyone has a life. So it will be limited. But if you follow me there and you sign up for the Simple Life Insider Circle, which is where I give you all the updates and, and, and all the things I'm up to, we'll be announcing it there as well. So yeah, the website's always the best place to go. And the podcast is there as well. Perfect. Well, Gary, I, I've had an absolute blast. I have learned so much from this. I know my listeners definitely have as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks a lot, Ren. So I, I really appreciate it. I can go on some rants. So. <laughs> I will, we'll have to have you back on because, I mean, this is one of those topics where, I mean, we touch on a lot of different things. But, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about trying to find out how to take more authority back in your life. I mean, it touches so many different stuff. And that's what I enjoy about this journey, getting to explore this with, uh, you know, with, with my guests and with all the listeners and everyone, because this is something that we do as individuals, but we celebrate our success together. So, no, definitely. Perfect. Well, well folks. Not not a problem at all. Uh, folks, you know, the deal, it, you know, it costs you nothing but benefits me so much. If you could share this episode with a friend, leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. If you're benefiting from this, you should want others to get in on the fun. And as always, you can follow me throughout social media, hey, Remso, H-E-Y-R-E-M-S-O. I'll chat with you there and everywhere else. As always, the only people who are free are those with the options to choose. You're listening to On the Run with Remso W. Martinez. Good night. shows and more from the We Are Libertarians Network at wearelibertarians.com.